We are officially one week away from Orioles pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training in Sarasota. You can taste the season at this point. And with the excitement comes Orioles questions from you, the fans. So I'll be answering them coming up on a mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are opening up the mailbag here on the podcast. Nine questions about the Orioles, all coming from you, the listener. Going to get to all of them here on today's episode, talking about maybe some bullpen roles, how it will shake out for the Orioles this year. Updates on John Means as he comes back from Tommy John surgery, what the Orioles' starting rotation could look like as the season goes along, how the Orioles could operate at the trade deadline, and then a cool question at the end about the history of the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So we'll jump right in here to a Mailbag Wednesday episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for submitting your questions. Again, if you did submit a mailbag question and it was not answered on today's episode, do not worry. We will have future mailbags throughout the offseason and the season as well. We will get to your question. May even have another mailbag later this week, and if not, definitely next week to answer these other questions as well. And at the end, talk a bit about how you can submit those mailbag questions. But let's jump right in to our first question. that comes from Joel on Twitter who asks, how do you see the Orioles' bullpen roles shaking out this season? And he did kind of say behind Felix Bautista. Because I think to start this question, we obviously are all in agreement that Felix Bautista is the Orioles' closer heading into 2023. He got that job at the deadline after the Orioles sent Jorge Lopez to Minnesota. And Bautista was locked down. The mountain was amazing to watch. I cannot wait to see him in his really first full big league season as a closer this year. It's going to be fun. But behind him... You obviously have some some high leverage guys. And I think, really, I think Dylan Tate and Brian Baker are going to be the top two high leverage guys behind Bautista this year. Now, last year, after Lopez was gone, it was really Tate and Perez who were in those spots. I would say Baker takes a step above CNL Perez this year. I think he's a guy who can get righties and lefties out as well with that changeup. I think that's really, really going to help him. Then you kind of go to the guys who are more in... Middle relief to high leverage spots that can step into the high leverage roles when you need them to, but will pitch more middle relief. I think that will be CNL Perez and Michael Givens. I don't think Michael Givens at this point is the pitcher he was his first go around with the Orioles, but he is still a good big league reliever who would help any bullpen in baseball. And that's what he's going to do for the Orioles. He'll pitch in the fifth sometimes. He might pitch in the ninth sometimes. Michael Givens can be moved around. And the same might be with CNL Perez. I'll get to this in a little bit. I don't think Perez is going to have a sub-2 ERA this year like he did last year, but I still think he'll be solid if he is an Oriole. And then you have the other guys in the bullpen. Right now, I project the other three relievers to start the year to be Austin Voth, D.L. Hall, and Tyler Wells. Obviously, all have starting experience, and all three of them started at least one game for the Orioles last year. 
So they're not exactly your typical relievers. I think Voth will be the closest thing to a long reliever the Orioles have in the bullpen. You know, could pitch in mop-ups, could pitch when a you know starter gets hurt in the first or second inning, could go two or three innings. D.L. Hall could be kind of a piggyback guy. He could start some games. He could go in short relief. I think no matter what, you have to put Hall on the opening day roster. And, you know, there's been comments from Mike Elias that maybe they would still be open to starting him in the AAA rotation. I don't think you can do that. I think you got to put him on the opening day roster and just find a role for him because he's one of your 13 best pitchers. And then for Tyler Wells, I don't know. We've seen him have success as a starter. We've seen him have success as a one-inning reliever over each of the past two seasons. So I just don't know what it's going to look like. Again, Wells is one of the 13 best pitchers. So even if he doesn't earn a rotation spot, he's going to be on this roster and will be in the bullpen. I just don't know. I don't think it'll be, you know, the closer role he had for a point in 2021. I don't think it'll be an eighth inning role. There's better relievers now. But he'll be in an interesting spot and, and have a chance to get some key outs for the Orioles. But among the O's projected bullpen, that's how I see things shaking out. Now, speaking of CNL Perez, as I said, I don't see him having as high leverage of a role in 2023. And that kind of leads us into our next question that comes from Jeff on Twitter. Jeff also happens to be the host of Locked On Reds. Make sure to go check that pod out as well here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Who asks, who is the real CNL Perez? The 2021 version or the 2022 version? Now, the reason this comes from Jeff is that Perez was obviously with the Cincinnati Reds in 2021 before they DFA'd him after the season. The Orioles claimed him off waivers last offseason and basically revamped him into a guy who posted a 1.40 ERA and about 58 innings of work out of the Oriole bullpen this year. I mean, he was locked down. And that was after, in Cincinnati in 2021, he was kind of an up-and-down reliever. He threw 24 innings. He had a 6.38 ERA with a 6.30 FIP. Now, the strikeout rate was basically the same. It was 23% with the Reds in 2021, 24% with the Orioles last year. Not a huge, huge change. But what he did is just completely slice his walk rate in half. He was walking 18% of batters in 2021 with Cincinnati. That is absurd. He cut it to 9%, which is just basically a touch higher than big league average for a reliever, a 9% walk rate. And with the good strikeout rate and the good stuff, that's what allowed him to have a 1.40 ERA. But he did get a little lucky. And I've talked about this before. You know, his FIP at 2.80, while still great, was double his ERA. And his expected ERA of above 3.6 was two runs higher than his actual ERA. That was the biggest difference between expected ERA, according to StatCast, and actual ERA of any pitcher in baseball this year, which is a little concerning that he may be due for some regression. So what do I think CNL Perez will be in 2023? He'll be better than the 21 version, but I think a little worse than the 22 version. I think somewhere in the middle trending further towards the 2022 Orioles version because they revamped his slider a little bit. They got him to throw more fastballs up in the zone. Obviously, they kind of fixed his command. So he's going to be closer to the good Perez. I just think he might take a little step back, which is why I've talked about he could be traded this year. Kind of similar to the Tanner Scott Cole Salser deal that the Orioles did right before the season started last year. Perez could be in that spot, but I think more likely he just takes a step back and is still a good reliever, just not like a dominant eighth inning guy that he was at times last season. Sticking with pitching, our third question comes from Michael on YouTube who asks, what is the latest update on John Means? And this is something I was not able to get to on Monday's Orioles News and Notes episode. Make sure to go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. But Means did give an update on Sunday from the Birdland Caravan. He was at the event 
I believe at the brewery on Sunday, and said that he's currently throwing from 140 feet with a crow hop. Now, obviously, that's much further away than the mound is from home plate, but that means his long tossing is progressing further and further, which is always a good sign. Now, the one thing he did say, he's not throwing any breaking balls or any change-ups yet when he throws. He is only throwing fastballs at this point, which is okay. You know, he's still le- well less than a year removed from the Tommy John surgery. But what he did say is he will be moving on to a half mound to throw in about two weeks, right after spring training starts. And he thinks he's on track for the middle of the season and mentioned July. Now, I've been saying over and over again on this podcast, June or July is when we should expect John Means back with the Orioles. So it looks like it's trending more towards July after those comments from Sunday. So look for him maybe right after the All-Star break. Maybe the O's get back from the All-Star break and John Means can kind of rejoin the Major League team at that point. Obviously, he'll start throwing more and more. He'll go on rehab assignments, you know, sometime in May or June in the minor leagues and work his way back up. And you, you have to be prepared that even when he's back on the big league team, he might pitch in relief for a little bit, you know, especially if the O's are right in the race and want to get him back a little bit sooner. They might bring him back to pitch like two innings at a time out of the bullpen. Remember, he did that when he first came up. He started the 2019 season in the Orioles bullpen, made a handful of long relief appearances, was really good. The O's put him in the rotation and he ended up being their only all-star that year. So he's done that role before and he could do it again when he comes back. But we've got six more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode of the podcast. Coming up next, we're going to talk a bit about D.L. Hall, his future as a starter, what the Orioles' rotation as a whole could look like later in the season, and what the O's could do at this year's trade deadline. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We are so, so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because of the number one sportsbook in America. And of course, that is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And FanDuel, it lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. And if we're taking a look at the Super Bowl this weekend, the Eagles and the Chiefs, I gave out on Monday that I liked the Eagles minus one and a half on FanDuel. That is still the line. In terms of the over-under, I like the over at over 50 and a half points on FanDuel for what could be a high-scoring Super Bowl between Mahomes and and hurts. And here's the best thing about FanDuel using it on your phone. The Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use, and you can get paid your winnings instantly. I love the app right on my phone. Makes it really easy. All the odds right there in front of you. It's not confusing to, you know, put together a parlay or make a bet. They just make it so simple and it's secure. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So we're back here on a Mailbag Wednesday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, answering your Orioles questions. We'll jump right back into it. Our fourth question of the day comes from Josh on Twitter, who asks, how long of a leash will D.L. Hall have as a starter with the Orioles? And now, This is kind of a twofold question because I think the answer is different for both just this season and then Hall moving forward because he just came up at the end of last year, which means he's got a lot of years left, hopefully all the years left, 
with the Orioles. Now, this season, it might not be a super long leash. I, I at this point, don't think Hall makes the Orioles opening day starting rotation. I think he's going to be given every chance to do so in spring training. But I just think the group is going to be Gibson, Irvin, Rodriguez, Kramer, and Bradish. Now, there's been talk about, well, would the O's then put him in AAA to start? So instead of working him as a reliever, you'd have him built up as a starter in AAA to then bring him up to the big leagues when you need him as a starter. I don't think that's worth it, to be honest to you. He's thrown enough AAA innings, made enough AAA starts at this point that he's shown what he can do at AAA. He's one of the 13th, one of the 13 best pitchers on this Orioles roster. It's time to bring him up. It's time to have him on the roster the entire year. Now, whether that means in a starting role, a long relief role, a one inning role, whatever it may be, he helps the Orioles in the big leagues because he's one of their 13 best pitchers. And if you are truly saying the rebuild is over and you're trying to win this year in 2023, no matter what role it is, you need DL Hall on the opening day roster. So I do think because of that, if they take that approach, it could be a short leash to be a starter because he either may not even start in the rotation or if he does and there's some early struggles, he can't kind of get deep into games. Maybe, you know, like a Tyler Wells would take his spot and Hall would kind of follow him with two inning stints out of the bullpen. But what I will say is even if Hall pitches predominantly in a relief role in 2023 in the big leagues, I still don't think that rules out him being a long-term starter for the Orioles. Now, it could push him back because other starters will fill into that role. But there's going to be spots for him to start down the line. Teams always need starting pitching, especially always need starting pitching depth. And, you know, you have a guy in Kyle Gibson on a one-year deal. You know, you don't know if Kramer or Bradish are for real. You know, we don't know how much you're going to get out of Cole Irvin, although you have him for four more seasons after that trade. They're going to need other starting pitchers. Hall will make starts this year. And, you know, it could be a situation where he's the dominant reliever this year. And then he just gets even better, and he wins a starting role next season. I mean, you have guys early in their careers who kind of make the switch. You know, guys like John Smoltz who are relievers early and then go to starters, and then sometimes they go back to being relievers. Obviously, most relievers are failed starters, but some guys are starters in the minors. When they first come up, they go to the bullpen because that's where they're needed, and then they get stretched back out into a starter kind of the next full season or two. That could totally Happened with D.L. Hall down the line. So I don't think long-term there's any kind of short leash on him being a starting pitcher. The O's want to have him start because that means one of your best pitchers throws more innings. And that is always what you want. Next question comes from Stofi on Twitter who asks, What is the Orioles' rotation on August 1st? Now, it's important to know that the trade deadline is on August 2nd this year. So this would be a pre-trade deadline question. My answer would be... Some combination of Bradish, Gibson, Rodriguez, Means, and Irvin. I think if John Means is back in July, he could be in a rotation spot by August 1st. And I just think maybe between Bradish and Kramer, either one isn't as successful or maybe one has an injury. You got to build in. Somebody's going to get injured. Pitchers always get injured throughout a Major League Baseball season. So that would be my group. But I do think, you know, Bradish, Gibson, Rodriguez, Means, and Irvin, the O's would still be looking, if they're winning, for a starting pitcher at that trade deadline, which would be the next day on August 2nd. Which brings us to our next question from Heather on Twitter, who asks, do you think the Orioles will buy at the deadline if they're in the playoff race? And who would they trade away in those deals? Now, this is a good question, and I do think the Orioles will at least be somewhat buyers if they are in the playoff race when the calendar turns to August. Now, 
Were they in the playoff race when the calendar turned to August last year? Yes. Were they buyers? Absolutely not. They were sellers. They traded away Trey Mancini for minor leaguers. They traded away Jorge Lopez for minor leaguers. And the only guy they added was Brett Phillips for cash considerations after he had been DFA'd by the Rays. So they certainly weren't adding. They were selling despite being in the race, and they stayed in the race. But those deals hurt them at the major league level. You could tell down the stretch when the bats went quiet and the bullpen wasn't as good because they traded away Lopez and Mancini. So you get to this point, and even if the O's are in first place somehow in the AL East, I don't think they're going to be all-in crazy buyers at this year's trade deadline because I think they'll want to hold on to some of the top prospects it would take, and I still think Mike Elias wants to see where it goes, and I don't think John Angelos wants to trade for anyone that they would have to pay at any point, it seems like. But I do think what they could do is kind of play both sides. This is something we've seen the Rays do at times, Cleveland do at times, other teams like that. We saw the Brewers try to do it at the deadline this year where you know, you're not selling off maybe the big pieces of your team, but you are trading away a few more you know, lower on the roster major leaguers and then adding some mid-roster major leaguers. So your team gets better. You don't make the Giants splash, but your team does get better at the deadline. So, you know, you could look at some moves where maybe the O's go add a starting pitcher, but it's not Corbin Burns. They add more of a mid-level guy. Maybe they go get a guy where, you know, similar to the Cole Irvin trade, they get a guy with multiple years of control. Maybe they give away one of Jordan Westberg or Connor Norby or Joey Ortiz because it gets to July and they realize, all right, one of these guys is just going to be completely blocked and have no chance to play at the big leagues for us. So they go ahead and trade one of those guys who's performing in AAA and they go get a mid-rotation pitcher to kind of solidify things and help them for a couple years moving forward. I think that certainly could happen. Now you could also see them try to do something where, yeah, maybe they go after a little more of an ace and, and maybe they would trade away one of like Kyle Bradish or Dean Kramer potentially to kind of upgrade in that rotation spot. I think that could certainly happen. Maybe if John Means shows he's healthy early enough, they would look to deal him. I mean, I don't think so just because of the injury. But there are possibilities. And you could really also see the Orioles, like, buy a left-handed bat. You know, they really need a left-handed bat in that lineup. They go get one. And they also trade away one of their relievers. They look at, you know, maybe Michael Givens because he's on a one-year deal. And he's just, he's not super dominant, but he's good. And the O's are thinking, all right, we're not going to re-sign him. We have bullpen guys behind him to bring up from the minor leagues. Let's just get some prospect depth for Michael Givens. You could see them doing that. I wouldn't love them doing it, but they could do a deal like that or even for a Dylan Tate if he takes a little step back or even a CNL Perez the deadline like I talked about. There are definitely ways the Orioles could do this. I think a guy like Austin Voth, if he doesn't have a rotation spot, but he's pitching really well in kind of that long relief role and he's still in the bullpen, you could see another team coming after Voth to make him their five starter. And he's just not the Orioles five starter. You could see them dealing him away, even if they're in it. So there's a lot of ways they can go. And you have to kind of, you know, unfortunately look at what the Rays have done when they've been in it at past deadlines. But it's certainly something they could do where they kind of play both sides at the trade deadline. We've got three more questions to get to here on a mailbag episode, talking about some extensions the Orioles could give out to maybe not their absolute star players. Another surprise trade, similar to Cole Irvin, that the Orioles could make. And then a fun question about, you know, teaching people about the history of Orioles baseball. 
So we're back here on a mailbag episode of the podcast. Three more questions to get to from you, the listeners. Again, if you would like to submit a mailbag question to be answered on a future mailbag episode of the pod, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at LockedOnOrioles or DM the account. The DMs are open as well. You can leave a mailbag question in the comment section on YouTube, the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Also make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Locked On Orioles here on YouTube. And then, of course, if you listen on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, leave a five-star rating if you can. And in the review section on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a mailbag question there as well. It helps out the pod, and it will be answered on a future mailbag episode. We've got three more questions to get to here from you, the listeners. And our seventh question of the day comes from Baltimore Oreos with a Z on Twitter who asks... If you had to extend Ramon Arias or Jorge Mateo and you had to choose one, who would you choose? Now, it's an interesting question because I feel like these two guys have been pitted against each other a lot throughout this offseason. It's just because both guys have come up in some trade rumors this offseason. Both guys were starting infielders last year, but I think we feel are the two most likely guys to potentially at some point this year or next year lose those starting spots to some Orioles infield prospects who I think both have, you know, all have higher ceilings potentially than Mateo and Arias. So we'll start with Jorge Mateo, 27 years old, free agent after 2025. Bat really hasn't been there yet, but stellar elite defense, elite speed, and has versatility. You know, he can play the outfield still if the Orioles would need him to. Ramon Arias, 28 years old, so he's a year older. Free agent after 2026, though, so you do have one more year of control currently for Ramon Arias. He's got a solid bat. It's above league average. It's much better than Jorge Mateo's. Really good defense. Won a gold glove. Not as elite as Mateo, but still good. Less versatility, though. Really, Arias can only play third base and second base, and, and a little bit of shortstop if you need him in a pinch, but you can't really move him out to the outfield like you can with Mateo. And when you look at these two guys, it's it's tough to compare them because I think they're both in a similar boat. And I think they both could be traded this offseason. Now, I will say I don't think either are extension candidates for the Orioles. I think moving forward, the O's will either trade one of these guys that they get closer to free agency or just kind of let their time with the Orioles run out and be replaced by you know, prospects that are coming up, whether it's Jordan Westberg now or whether it's Jackson Holiday a couple years down the road. But if I had to pick... I think I would take Jorge Mateo because of the versatility. You keep him on the team. You know, he could play the infield, play the outfield, give you elite defense. He can come off the bench, steal a base, maybe pinch hit against a lefty, give you a lot of different stuff off the bench. And I would suppose in this world where I'm looking to extend either Arias or Mateo, it probably means each of them has solidified the bat a little more. On Mateo's side, he had become at least consistent with the bat where he's at least league average, maybe slightly above with the bat every year. And Arias had finally stopped hitting the ball into the ground and was hitting the ball in the air a little bit more and having better power success. Either of those things would have to happen for the Orioles to consider an extension with both of these guys. But the reason why I take Mateo is if you live in that world where both of those things happened with those two guys, Mateo with a slightly above league average bat becomes way more valuable than Arias with just a bat that got better at lifting the ball in the air. Because Mateo's got the elite speed. He's got the elite defense. If Mateo's bat just could get to like a 101 WRC+, plus, he becomes just above league, above league average as a hitter, you can extend him to be your everyday shortstop on a playoff team. That's how good he would be if he just got his bat from where it is now, which is like 
an 80 WRC plus, he's 20% below league average, to slightly above league average, he becomes an elite player on the field with all the value he brings with base running and defense. So I think if it comes to that point, Mateo definitely the stronger extension candidate. Next question comes from Matt on Twitter, who asked, the Cole Irvin trade was a little surprising. Who could the Orioles target in another similar surprising trade? And it was a little surprising not to see the Orioles go get a big league starting pitcher, or maybe not to see the Orioles trade away one of their top 20 prospects like they did in that deal, sending Daryl Hernandez to Oakland. But the reason it was surprising was that I don't think a lot of people thought Cole Irvin was going to be dealt right away. You know, he wasn't, even though the athletics are rebuilding, he isn't a free agent over the next two years. He's going you know, comes over with four years of team control. You would have thought Oakland would at least hold on to him to, you know, help bolster a rotation as they go through this rebuild. But it was kind of out of left field for Cole Irvin to be available in the Orioles to go get him and not have to give up too, too much. So I thought in kind of similar ways with two players. And I didn't do it for pitchers because I figured if the Orioles are going to trade for another pitcher here, either this offseason or this season, it's probably going to be someone better than Cole Irvin. And you would have to think if they're really going in, they're going to target, you know, the Corbin Burns type to go get another guy instead of going to get another four type starter and just add him to kind of all the depth starters the Orioles already have. So I switched to hitters because I think the Orioles could still use another bat, certainly a left-handed bat in this lineup, someone who can play the corner outfield, can DH, maybe play some first base, and has some team control that can help this team for years down the road. I came up with two names, and maybe I was drawn to them both because of local ties, but I think they both make sense. The first one is Gavin Sheets. He's got a whole lot of team control. You know, he was a rookie in 2021, so you get five or six more years out of him. I think the White Sox, you know, they're not looking to trade him now, but I think they're going to kind of be a disaster. They have talent on that team, but, I mean, who knows what's going on with the White Sox. They did absolutely nothing this offseason besides re replace Tony LaRusso, which was a good thing, but they didn't add to the team at all, which was kind of a disaster last year. Just a tough scene in Chicago. They got a lot of weird players who are like, DH first base and can kind of play the outfield types, but not really. And they need to get better defensively. Gavin Sheets isn't a great defender, especially when he plays the outfield. He's got the Baltimore tie, you know, grew up here, obviously the son of Larry Sheets, who, who played for the Orioles. And I just think maybe it makes sense. He's a left-handed hitter, first base DH. He's not good in the outfield, but he's played out there before and could play out there in a pinch. Gives you a little versatility. Yeah, he was about a league average hitter this year, but he's got big power. He was well above league average in 2021 when he came up with the White Sox and obviously still a lot of room to grow because he is so young at this point. I think Sheets could, could make a lot of sense if the White Sox are just trying to diversify their roster a little bit and, and trade away from some of, that, some of that log jam of like the not very good outfield defensive types who can hit. Gavin Sheets could be one of those guys. And then another guy I thought of in kind of the similar category is Lamont Wade, who of course, is from here as well and played at the University of Maryland and has been in the big leagues with the Giants for the last couple of years and obviously had the breakout 2021 known as Late Night Lamont, had so many clutch hits for the Giants in 21. He was basically slightly below league average as a hitter in 2022, also dealt with multiple injuries throughout the season that really held him down. But Wade, another guy, you know, you'd have about five years of team control, left-handed hitter, can can play first base, can play the outfield, is much better defensively in the outfield than a guy like Gavin Sheets. You can trust him really in all three outfield positions, and especially the corner outfields. And he's a guy who's still young, he's athletic, he's moldable, he's shown what he can do, hit for hit for average, hit for power. You know, he can get on base, has an incredible batter's eye as well. That's a lot of his value is his ability to draw walks. 
I think he would really fit in the Orioles lineup. I would love to have a Terp in the Orioles lineup. And you look at the Giants, you know, they brought back Jock Peterson. They they signed Mitch Haniger. They just have so many of these kind of outfield types beyond those two. You know, Yastrzemski and Slater and Wade and uh, Luis Gonzalez. And there's like two or three more who are legitimate big leaguers, but aren't like stars. So they're just kind of shuffling them all through the roster and the lineup. And they just don't have space to A, get them all in the lineup, but B, they don't even have space to keep them all on the active roster. So rather than put these guys in AAA who have big league talent, I figure the Giants will probably trade at least one of them at some point to just clear up some space and maybe get a reliever to help the team. Maybe the Orioles, you know, fit with the Giants. Somebody from their relief, they have a lot of depth in the bullpen the Orioles do. Maybe one of those depth guys for a guy like Lamont Wade is a trade that could happen. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see a trade like that. That So that's my, uh, that's my kind of out there prediction, kind of similar to the Cole Irvin deal. And then the last question for today's mailbag, really, really fun one. It came from Danny Coldfoam on Twitter who says, I'm trying to get my mom, who is from Portugal, into the Orioles. Said we live in the area, and Danny is an Orioles fan. And asked, what are five points on a list if you're trying to explain the history of the Orioles to a new fan? So I came up with kind of five big overarching things you need to know about the history of the Orioles if you're kind of just getting into the O's right now. So if you're just getting into the O's right now, you're probably quickly learning, okay, they have an amazing farm system. They have all these young players in the big leagues. They just had an amazing season last year out of nowhere. And it's like, go, go, go time for the Orioles. So you probably know that. So what are the five things you need to know before that? So I'll start with the Orioles were in the 60s and 70s and the early 80s, the team in Major League Baseball. Like they were the standard. Of course, they went to six World Series. They won three of them in 1966, 1970, and 1983. They had some of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball. Earl Weaver was ahead of his time, you know, pitching defense in the three-run homer, not always laying down bunts. He was kind of a little sabermetrical before that became popular, and I think is one of the greatest managers of all time. They kind of dominated then with the three World Series in many, many years. Even when they didn't win at all, they were the best team in baseball. So that's really number one. Number two, you fast forward to 1992, build the ballpark that forever changed baseball. Oriole Park at Camden Yards opens in 1992, continues to sell out throughout the 90s. Still the most beautiful ballpark in baseball. And so many new parks that were built in the late 90s and the 2000s were modeled after Camden Yards. You know, that more open feel with the city line in the background and just, you know, the, the kind of old school but still modern in the ballpark. It's perfect. Everyone models it after it, and they have an amazing ballpark and amazing fan experience. Number three is Cal Ripken and the streak and being a Hall of Famer. You know, obviously back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you have stars on those teams as well with Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson and, and, and Jim Palmer, and later, you know, Eddie Murray is on those teams, and you have all these amazing players. But Cal Ripken is the name, the one name you need to know. Obviously sets baseball's record for most consecutive games played throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. You know, some people say he saved baseball after the strike in 94 and coming back and, and him kind of beating the streak in 95 brought everyone together in Baltimore. And then right after that, the O's get to back-to-back -back ALCSs in 96 and 97 with Cal and those great teams they had. And, you know, he ran it up until 2001 and was really you know, the, the face of Orioles baseball for a long, long time and, you know, was even on the World Series team. You know, he was a, he came up to the bigs in 82, won the World Series in 83, was there until 2001 in an O's uniform. That is a whole era of Orioles baseball. 
Number four on the list is unfortunately the dark times after Cal Ripken retired. Now those dark times kind of started in 1998. Cal retired in 01, but especially after Cal retired, starting in 2002 for the next 10 years, it was bleak. Of course, they had 15 consecutive losing seasons from 1998 through 2011. I should say 14 consecutive losing seasons. Wasn't good. Wasn't pretty. Um, they kept bringing in different managers. They kept bringing in different types of players. They spent money. They made trades. They tried everything. They never really built up a good farm system, but they had prospects who had a lot of oomph behind them and just never worked out. And they had some really, really good players on those teams, but it was basically pencil them in for 90-plus losses every single year, and it was tough to watch. And then number five is the fun that was 2012 to 2016 and how nobody really knows how it happened or how they sustained it for that long. Of course, the Orioles in 2012, after the 15 years not going to the playoffs, they come back, they win 90-plus games, they get to the ALDS, they almost take out the Yankees, the, that amazing, you know, the buckle-up birds of 2012. And then two years later, they finally win their first division in, you know, 17 years. They win 96 games, get to the ALCS in 2014, the Delman Double. And then getting back there in 2016, which is a bunch of guys mashing homers and getting to the postseason in 2016. An Orioles team with no farm system, no development, no technology. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez talked about it on a podcast a couple weeks ago on the Baseball Barbercast that, I mean, they didn't have, like, computers when he got drafted. They were basically playing off purely vibes and Buck Showalter pushing the right buttons and won the most games in the American League from 2012 through 2016. So those are kind of the five points to, to get into Orioles baseball, and um, I hope your mom gets into the O's and, and loves the O's just as much as you do, as I do. It's a, it's a fun team to, to root for, and listen, it is a good time to be an O's fan here as we head into 2023. But thank you all for the mailbag questions you submitted for today's episode. Again, if you submitted a question but didn't hear it, most likely going to get to it on a future mailbag episode, which may even be coming up this Friday when I return here on the pod to talk a little bit more O's to finish out the week. And then this week, the final week of three episodes a week, when we return on Monday, we'll just be a couple days away from pitchers and catchers reporting, and we'll be back to five podcasts a week, Monday through Friday, a new episode every day, the Locked on Orioles podcast, starting on Monday. But before then, we'll be back Friday, a little mailbag, talk a little bit about the Angelos lawsuit being dropped and what that means for the Orioles moving forward. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.